here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. This is TJMRCT Radio with American Communications Online. And we are joined together to create UFO Association Organization with various levels of uh, meaning, knowing, and news. And we are also historians, reporters, researchers. And we've been working on Tuesday Weekly with Jan Aldrich. And I'm going to bring on Janet Carolesson of Hawaii, who has helped me for many years with books, e-books, groups, events. Janet Carolesson, woman of the world, how are you? <laughs> Hi, I just made it. I hung up my laundry. <laughs> Get into the show. <laughs> we have to do, we have to chop water, carry, yeah, chop wood, carry water, <laughs> and then show for the shows. But I'm doing great. I'm here in Maui, Hawaii, and it's another bright, sunny day, and um, enjoying life, and I'm glad to be participating on the TJ Morris ET Radio Network. Thank you. Yes, and we've been doing this together. She helped me actually start this brand or this station or channel. It's podcasting today is what's known. We're doing live radio shows for us, Aquarian Radio, Revolution Radio, ACO Radio, which you heard with Ahmed Painter, who is our general manager and also director of ACO Association. And we as administrators are volunteers, and we work in cyberspace together and we've been doing this individually paying for websites podcasting janet and i i know of personally for 20 some odd uh, years but we've only been doing radio shows live podcasting since 2012 so this is what she and i are best known for and i uh met her in hawaii uh as a psychic reader and uh she and I were in a spiritual science community, non-denominational, and we'd like to keep that going. So if you're interested in spiritual science or uh, anything to do with phenomenology, or if you're a space nerd like she and I, we believe in the Star Trek in reality, I guess you might say. And she and I are going to do uplifting of the ascension age, which is about ascension, raising consciousness, and levels where you can see that people may or may not exist in your own reality. And what is that about? The scotomas of the mind. But Jan Aldrich has been collecting information on UFOs since he was in high school. And I want to add some ultimate realities to uh, this reality in the now. And Jan Aldrich uh, has, is a veteran, so we thank him for his service with the United States Army for 25 years. And then he was with the U.S. government as a U.S. Postal Service man. I remember the postman, so I don't know what part he played in, inside or outside, probably both. And uh, he has helped me establish this with Dr. Bruce Maccabee and many other names you may or may not know, including my name, Teresa J. Thurman Morris, and Janet Kruth. Janet, it was is legally for those that keep up with uh, history, finding our names is Janet Lynn Thompson, but she married 
Dr. Alexander. Oh, Stasha I'm going to go Lesnar. get that changed. I I changed to my Janet. name to Janet Careless when I got married in Vegas in twenty oh, okay. uh, two thousand. But then when I went to get my driver's license, they forced me. And I thought when you got married, you could change your name, and that's been my understanding all along. But when I got my driver's license, they said, well, you have to use your birth middle name. I go, why is that? She goes, do you want a license or not, lady? And I said, okay, I guess I'm Janet Lynn Thompson. But I've got to go through an additional process of getting my name uh, legally changed again because I used Janet Care Lessons since 1997. When I huh. uh, I got married spiritually and then I uh, got married legally. And you got to go so, to the Social Security office. That's where they they only go by Social Security card, according to Florida State. Well, My no, you have to get your name to... changed legally. Legally, she, yeah. Some somehow I have to get an attorney. I'll look it up. But thanks for reminding me of that because I have to renew my license and I have to renew my um, passport. So this is a critical time for me to figure that out. Yeah, may just definitely paperwork and pay money. Did she go? Even though, through, what, what, what name did she well, change? Her first, last, or middle? Stephanie just went to. She is married, but they won't let her use her married name. Neither will my next door neighbor. She is married, so they have to come up with something to prove their married name, and it has to be. Stephanie had her birth her birth certificate and her marriage certificate, but they didn't care. They said. No, lady, it has to be what it says on your social security card. So that must be something to do with the uh, – you and I need to look up the latest stuff since uh, – what is the Homeland Security Act? Well, A lot of what's people your legal name? Them. What's your ne- – because I've heard you, Teresa J. Thurman, Jeanette, you've got 20 names. So what's your legal name? TJ. On my birth certificate, it's Teresa J. Thurman. I was born a Thurman, which in America we accept well, our father's What's on your driver's license right now? Teresa what's on your driver's J. license? Teresa J. Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S. But I had my name changed okay. on all my Social Security and all that. So, And they told my daughter just this week. She went down. Was it Monday? Yeah, Monday. And she came back. I said, so you're now Miss Stephanie Saucier. She said, no, ma'am, I'm Stephanie Perry still. I said, why? She said, even though I've gotten married uh, over a year ago, uh, they won't let me use it. I, they said, I have to go by what's on my Social Security card, which was Stephanie Perry. Oh, so my God. She said, I have to go down. <laughs> I did the same thing. I had to go down to the Social Security. It, and the way they explained it to me, two or three different ladies, was the fact that you have uh, it has to do with how it was signed into legal documentation. Remember when the two nine uh, eleven thing happened, Homeland Security. It has mm-hmm. to do with all that. But you and I haven't been in the government inside having to do the legal stuff. And I used to give out ID badges and clearances and handle briefings. So uh, you know, I used to be on top of all that. But that was eighty to ninety four, and then I got out in ninety four. You know? Okay, here I found it. Hawaii legal name change. Do it yourself online. Twenty nine ninety five. All right, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> Let's see how get yeah, that nightmare over. Change your name. Well, are you I'll ready to out. build this UFO association? Because Jan has one aspect, and he's helping me remember 
things with the, the old, old guys before 47, through Blue Book and into NICAP. He literally mm-hmm. worked there, Janet. So uh, if you don't know uh, the NICAP, N-I-C-A-P, you may want to look it up. That's what Dr. Bruce McAbee worked with. And they had me doing some independent contract stuff. So I haven't even got into all the stuff I've done yet, and we're going to – but let me get him on here. I've got to call him. So you look up what you oh, know. Oh, get him on. Get him on. That some ideas because we're going to build a report on name change in Hawaii for the next show. <laughs> okay, but, let's see. Uh, all right. Mm, let's see here. Let me see. What, what happened to his phone number? I did this last week. Hold on, folks. This is exciting. We're going to, uh, I'm calling this via my computer to save him money. And we've learned that his home number seems to sound better than his cell phone, which is usually it's the opposite way around. So here we go. We're going to dial him. You may hear it. Can you hear that, Janet? I'm hearing it. Yes, I'm oh. hearing you call. Okay. Okay. All right, now we're all excited. Jan Aldrich of Connecticut, we're all excited to be building the UF, this UFO association with you. Janet Carelesson of Hawaii is here, and we're talking about all the people we probably don't know, and you've been helping us build, and she's going to look up NICAP, NICAP, that you work for. But uh, Janet, you want to say hi to Jan and Jan to Janet? So hi, Jan. The- <laughs> hi, how, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, well, you don't have snow. Hawaii. You don't have snow in Hawaii right now. Nani, nani, boo, boo. Nani, boo, boo. That's why I left snow. I left Pennsylvania in 1993. It was like one of the worst snowfalls. It kept going all winter. And we had, we were, we were locked into our little thing out in the suburbs for a week. Couldn't get in, couldn't get out. Had to live with what we had. Uh, power was out, thank God we had a fireplace. And, and after that winter, you know, my my marriage was questionable, and, and that kind of like topped off. <laughs> Things like, I'm out of here. So I, I, I got a divorce, and I came to Hawaii in 1993, landed on Oahu. But I don't like snow. No, I left behind ski boots and all those outfits and uh, haven't looked back. Well, so you're in Connecticut. It's snowing already, huh? Uh, it's already snowed. Uh, there's no accumulation, yeah. but we, you know, it's Cold. just Mother Nature's just letting us know what's coming. Yeah, here, yeah. Well, my sister's in Pennsylvania, and I kept asking her, you sure you don't want to come to uh, Hawaii for the winter? You know, become a snowbird. I'm over here, and she's got an old cat, and she doesn't want to leave her cat. We're not sure if it'll make it, so... I hope she makes it. It's the winters are hard when you're getting up there, you know. Yeah. Really hard. So. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah. just let's discuss. That's something uh, more pleasant. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, the chit chat to help us people get used to our voices. There's three of us today, folks. But the UFO Association is about building oral reports for the ACO Press Club, which we are the ACO Association. If you're interested, it's free to join. Our UFO Association, that's also pretty joint. But what we're doing is we want to build up archives and be able to maintain them. And Jan, I've got on here, Jan, some questions we want to ask you today. We've asked a well-known historian in ufology, 
how to find and search out around the world proof of UFOs. Now, that's sort of the lead today. So that's one question, Janet. And then we are supporters of the UFO Association and ask Jan Aldrich to consider uh, what part have extraterrestrials played in influencing him to share his passion. So there's another question. And then what ideas came to him to look up, look for UFOs? That's the third question. Why did he compile the Project 1947? So that's another question. And then who else does he consider peers in his reality? And we were talking about it's number five. So those are a lot of questions to uh, have Jan answer to people like me and Janet that are building this UFO association as administrators. And we do radio shows built on alienology and ufology. Dr. Bruce McAbee helped us set up the ACO back in 2014. So we have ACO and UFO associations. They're not necessarily the same. I would say ACO is more on ascension, center age, uh, more spiritual growth and spiritual science, whereas UFO Association is more about the collectors and reporters and researchers of actual sightings, but it's going to grow into the stories of the people like Jan, Janet, me, and many other people, because I want to have a directory of who's who, because when I started listening to Jan talk about uh, some of the groups that I was never in, but I was always a consultant or somebody would ask me information and I would share it. These other people's names were dropped to the wayside. So Jan had the idea of let's do an oral report of a lot of things that he may or may not remember, or he will try to help get names that may have collected stuff, but they're not in the record, so to speak. So uh, Janet, uh, her name's out there doing radio shows and books. She helps us edit these books. So, uh, Jan, you want me to ask you one question at a time, or Janet may want to ask you some ask of these questions? Ask one question at a time. I already lost track of what you were asking. So. Okay. Uh, the uh, first let's, one let's start is, over. All right. It says, we have asked well-known historian in ufology how to find and search out around the world proof of UFOs. Now, we want to add all those names that he uh, knows about, too. We're going to get a history of people he's worked with because that will come down to peers in a minute. So the first one, then, how do you find and search out the world proof of UFOs, Jan? Well, <laughs> my, my thing is to, to accumulate as much material as I can on it and uh, try to make it available for people that come along after us. Uh, and while I have while I have a lot of material, I'm also trying to uh, uh, compile uh, catalogs and other uh, uh, things that can be used to uh, study UFOs. Uh, I'm, I'm cooperating with people in England and uh, Germany that are compiling uh, uh, electromagnetic catalogs and. Uh, and of course, then I'm interested in UFO history. So writing UFO history is a is a big a big thing with me. Um, also, I've uh, helped uh, Tom Toline, uh, uh, the Sign Oral History Project. Uh, he has interviewed over 200 uh, people, uh, witnesses. Uh, 
government officials um, and other people that have been involved in, in UFOs, like uh, some of the... Uh, uh, well, we interviewed uh, Gordon Lord just recently, and he's he used to be the uh, assistant um, director of NICAP, so... Uh, that was an, and he had his own UFO organization after he left NICAP, so that that, that was a pretty good interview. Um, in fact, he'd just written a book called uh, uh, Flying Saucers from Beyond Earth, uh, which uh, I can recommend. It's uh, it, it's about his uh, his uh, dealings in NICAP when he was there, and about his. UFO organization that he had after NICAP there, and he, uh, and we, uh, when we went out to interview him, we also copied his files, so that's, uh, that's another plus. Uh, so on Tom's thing, I used to go with him on many of the interviews, uh, so I'd say I've been on about, uh, 75 interviews with Tom, and we talked to people like um, Frederick Durant, who uh, people that recognize the uh, Robertson panel. He was the one that wrote up the uh, the report on the Robertson panel. Uh, he he was in the CIA, and he told us uh, uh, how he was how he got uh, into UFOs and. Um, the people he dealt with, uh, his uh, superior was interested in UFOs, uh, a guy named Taos. If you look in uh, CIA files, you'll find his name several times. So he's um, he was interested in UFOs. He, he asked before the Robertson panel was even thought about, he asked Durant to write, uh, write up papers on uh, ball lightning and Foo Fighters, so that's a uh, uh, that's a, that's an interesting thing. And uh, uh, we talked about people that he knew. He knew Root Belt real well. Um, he knew uh, he knew uh, most of the people that were involved with the CIA. And he also uh, he also was a good friend of uh, Werner von Braun. In fact. Uh, in the early days, von Braun was not permitted to re- to uh, leave the United States, and so uh, uh, <clears throat> Durant uh, took a paper that von Braun wrote and uh, uh, gave the paper at the uh, uh, an international aeronautics uh, astronautics. Uh, uh, conference. So, uh, and we've interviewed the uh, um, uh, Milton Torres, who was a, uh, a fighter pilot in England, uh, um, and he had he had a uh, he had a he was scrambled to uh, to find to uh, intercept a UFO, and he was told to shoot at it. And before he could, uh, it just uh, disappeared from his radar. Um, and that was investigated not by Blue Book, but he said he uh, he was investigated by the NSA, um, which 
maybe reached the idea that he didn't he didn't actually uh, see a UFO on his radar. He may have the NSA may have been spoofing him. It's kind of early though for that kind of thing because he did this in '56. Uh, uh, we uh, interviewed uh, uh, communications specialist down at White Sands. Uh, who uh, was aware that there were UFOs all the time? He was he was at the far end of of White Sands, and uh, they would have UFOs come uh, come into the uh, area there, and they'd call Kirkland Air Force Base to come and chase them away. And he said it was it was common, and they had to uh, they had to cease tests when they were around. Um, he said it wasn't uh, it wasn't like it was a uh, um, an unusual occurrence. It was occurring all the time. Um, uh, and the, the big thing that I think we did, I think the one of the m- more interesting things we did was uh, the Minot Air Force Base B fifty uh, two case. Um, everybody on the B-52, uh, Tom ran down and interviewed them. The first man we interviewed was the co-pilot, Captain uh, Runyon. And I remember sitting there, we're, we're in uh, uh, we're in Kentucky there, and we're out in the woods. He, he lived out in the woods, and we're, we're in this beautiful forest and everything, and enjoying the view there and we're interviewing and he's just telling us the most fantastic case that uh that that uh, I'd heard about in a long time and uh he said well that's fine uh, do you know anybody that uh do you know anybody else that was on the uh, flight with you and he says geez I can't remember he says I I think he remembered one name but then he went and into his files and he got a picture and there's everybody standing in front of the B-52 and you can read their name tags and once he saw the name tags he knew everybody's name first name and so so after that Tom ran down every one of the people that was there plus there were people on the ground so we were able to find some of those it was a um one of the most thorough investigations uh, that, that that have been involved with UFOs as far as the civilian side goes. Um, and it was uh, the Peter Jennings UFO special did that. What they did is, if you know uh, Peter Jennings, how he, he worked, the producers of that show uh, talked to me. And everything I told them, they told me, we went back and checked everything you told us. And I said, well, yeah, I hope you do that. And and uh, <clears throat> when they heard about the B-52 uh, case, it was in October uh, 24th, 1967, just before the Condon Committee ended. And it didn't get into the Condon Committee report, unfortunately. Um 
the uh, ABC uh, went went back and uh, verified all of uh, Tom Tulin's, uh interviews, and then they reshot the interviews for the program. Um, unusual for the time, uh, Peter Jennings gave almost five minutes of his newscast over to this case. He was so impressed with it. Um, so that's one of the things we do. Uh, and we've interviewed uh, people that have been involved in... Uh, we interviewed Dr. Willie Smith, who was one of Heineck's, uh close associates. Uh, we interviewed Charles Huffer, that was uh, one of... Uh, um, <clears throat> Robert Todd's uh, associates and uh, uh, supporter. Uh, he, he gave a, he gave some monetary support to Todd, Todd's uh, FOIA uh, crusade to get uh, uh, UFO cases from uh, from the Air Force and others, Navy, just about everybody else. So. Um, that was that was one thing that uh, that we did, and that was one thing we're trying to do to to uh, to get more inf- information on uh, on UFOs. We interviewed uh, uh, three people from uh, 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 Project Blue Book during the Rupert era. era um, Lieutenant Olson, who was himself a, the head of Blue Book for a few months while Ruppelt was off doing something. Um, the enlisted man that was there, Max Futch, and uh, Lieutenant uh, Rothstein, who was one of uh, uh, Ruppelt's lieutenants. So this is, uh, um, that's the kind of uh, interviews we had. Uh also, uh, the uh, Shag Harbor case, um, uh, the, the producer whose name uh, of, uh, of a Canadian uh, educational television um, uh, documentary on the uh, Shag Harbor case uh, asked me to write a... a uh, a, a letter supporting why this case is important and uh, what it what it gives what it uh, shows about Canadian UFO history. And uh, he said he said when he put the letter in, he got support from the Canadian government to do his uh, documentary, and he sent me uh, a dozen interviews that he had made on Shag Harbor. So. This is a type, this is one of the things uh we do uh of course going around and uh collecting and copying files that's another thing we do and then going to archives I've been to uh uh a number of archives uh Naval War College uh National Archives in Washington um uh Library of Congress um and then as far as going around the country, I've been to uh, 50 states and Canadian provinces. And uh, in most cases, I go to the uh, 
historical societies or the uh, state libraries or the provincial uh, libraries to uh, to look for uh, UFO cases and newspapers and other documents that might be on hand. Um, and of course, I've been to the Roswell Museum and um, the University of New Mexico is just a treasure trove of stuff. Um, uh, University of Arizona has Dr. McDonald's file, so I've been there, and I've been to the uh, um, <clears throat> the American Philosophical Library in uh, in Philadelphia, which has uh, Condon's papers and Menzel's papers there. So that's uh, that's some of the things that uh, I've been involved in. Janet, you have any questions? That uh, we're felt we're doing this as an oral report, like a book report, but it's book one, episode five, Janet. So we've got a lot of okay. history. But anything about the past that he's done? Because we're doing oral interviews by radio interviews, and you've got your mm-hmm. all compiled on Aquarian, and I've got mine all on TJMR's ET radio. But with Jan, we can come together on UFO Association and list who's who, but you got any questions for him? Because that's a lot of work he's done. Right, yeah, me too. So, um, yeah, let me think. Well, I know that Roswell seems to be like the beginning, but what was the first major, and then there's this controversy, was that a delivered Intentional delivering of uh, advanced crafts so that we would reverse engineer and catch up with the extraterrestrials. I integrate the experiencer level and people that are kind of, um, they've interacted with ETs or their whistleblower type information. So I'm connecting the dots with that. So part of that controversy is uh, that the ETs can actually uh, they know what we're thinking because they're telepathic and they can't be shut down. So they're actually delivering a lot of these vehicles so that we are uh, reverse engineering them and catching up. You know, it's not their most advanced technology. And um, it's part of like the uh, intervention into our evolution because, you know, of course we have a potential of extincting ourselves. So we get the grays interacting. So, what we've tracked back in my research is, you know, there's things beyond Roswell. What is the first major case, and uh, I guess this is in your organization, that you personally, that you've researched, you can do historical ones too by going and getting information. What's the most accurate, most ancient uh, case that that you have in your records? That well, you've I think... Uh... I think this is one of my top ten. Uh, that doesn't go back that far, though. 1688, uh, Robo Zero in uh, in Russia. Um, uh, it's because the monks investigated this case. They did. At this is this is pre-scientific times. This is mm-hmm. just the beginning. You know, the Renaissance is is on so people are doing doing things that are 
you know, a break with the past there. And these nuns, uh, the nuns, the they, the brothers went ahead and and uh, compiled uh, things about this case. Um, uh, what what happened is this object came down. It was like a meteor for a while, and then it it came over this lake, and the fishermen are out in the lake, and they could see uh, it, it's uh, it's. Uh, projecting lights into the lake and they can see the fish swimming around uh way down in the lake it's like the uh the uh the uh, depths of the lake are uh are made so they can see it and um this thing came back more than one time and uh it was it was recorded by by the monks and, and investigated and so this is this is one of the the early cases I think uh is really uh really well documented. Uh of course we have the uh uh in our own country uh we have uh the governor of Massachusetts back in the 1600s that uh, observes a, uh, a UFO while in the Back Bay area. So that's a that's another one that uh, uh, is pretty interesting. Um, during the uh, during the scientific when say the 17th 18th century, there started to be uh, Certain accounts that were uh, looked in, where the uh, objects, you know, did what more or less what uh, what uh, UFOs do today. Um, the turn of the uh, century there, in uh, uh, about 1892, uh, the uh, the uh, Ministry of Defense of Russia had a, uh, a UFO program. They were looking at uh, what they called strange balloons that uh, um, were being reported all over uh, Eastern Europe, not just the Russia, but in Poland. And, of course, the Ukraine was part of Russia at the time, so it was being reported down there. Germany, everybody suspected they were German balloons, so the... Uh, um, the uh, the uh, defense ministry of of uh, the Russian Empire uh, had a uh, a project to uh, collect and evaluate these cases. Funny thing is, it seems just like today, <clears throat> the head of the technical uh, the technical uh, organization that was going to evaluate these things said before he even saw any cases that he uh, already thought that uh, there was nothing to the uh, reports. Sounds just like uh, Condon. Um, so uh, there are some interesting reports in the, uh, uh, in the early 20th century and mid-20th century uh, uh, 
But then, of course, World War II, we have all kinds of the Foo Fighter type of things, and they were all over the world. It's um, the commander of the uh, Army Air Forces, uh, um, uh, General Hap Arnold, uh, actually uh, had his scientific advisor look into uh, look into these uh, reports and. Uh, his name was Dr. David Griggs. He's mentioned in the uh, in the Robertson panel as being probably the best uh, authority on Foo Fighters. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Dr. McDonald talked to him, and he said uh, he got a message from Arnold saying, look into these Foo Fighters, and he meant look into them in Europe, go to Asia, and look at him over there. <coughs> so he did. He said everywhere he went, there were Foo Fighters. Mm. It was everywhere. So he uh, uh, he said he made a report, which he he couldn't, uh, you know, he 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 claimed it was um, he couldn't find anything uh, conclusive about them. Uh, and he told, you know, he told my, uh, Dr. McDonald, he said, I sent a report directly to uh, Hap Arnold. Now, I've looked through Hap Arnold's uh, files. There, There's some at the Maxwell Air Force Base and some at the Library of Congress. <coughs> I haven't looked at everything, but as yet we haven't found any report from uh, from um, uh, Griggs. Now, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, intelligence, the chief intelligence officer in Europe after the war was over did did his own investigation. We know who the investigator was, and their conclusion was also that it was we have. We have no conclusion. We don't know what they are. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we know this because Keith Chester, who uh, wrote the book uh, Strange Company, came up with uh, uh, with this letter, and it's from General McDonald, and it's back to the uh, Pentagon, and he's reporting on the investigation. Uh, we also know who, uh, who led the investigation, and it's a colonel named O'Mara, who uh, ended up at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and uh, was involved in Project Blue Book later on in the uh, middle 50s. And uh, uh, he had also been involved with the uh, paperclip scientist. Uh, uh, he, they were under his custody uh, uh, most of uh, uh, Von Braun's uh, uh, rocket engineers and a number of other people that uh, they brought to the United States to, uh, frankly, prepare for the uh, invasion of Japan. They wanted uh, they wanted standoff things that they could shoot at uh, in Japan, rockets and things like that. And so they brought these people over to utilize their uh, skills. Um, so Omar was in was in charge of these people. He said I had to. It's like babysitting. I had to keep the 
keep them uh, occupied and uh, interested. Um, so the uh, uh, he we know where we didn't know anything. We did know that there were investigations. I had a uh, uh, World War II intelligence officer uh, come to uh, Connecticut MUFON, and he had read he had read stuff on my site, and he said. You know, you say that the 8th Air Force and the 9th Air Force investigated uh, Foo Fighters. He said, I, I could tell you, I was in intelligence uh, during the Second World War, and that is absolutely correct. You have that correct. And I said, well, I got it from other intelligence sources. And he said, well, I, he said, I just want to confirm that for you. And uh, I noticed when he was leaving, he was very sick. And I said, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm, you know, I'm close to terminal. But I wanted to come to this meeting and tell you that you're on the right track. And so I was I was really touched by that. Now, Janet, well, you may not know this, but Jan's had cancer of the throat. And the reason I'm doing this with him and for him, for our UFO association, is he wanted he couldn't write it fast enough or collect enough information. So, you know, we want to know, Jan, about you, too. So uh, we, the supporters of UFO Association, Association, all of us that are working around the world, it's just like thank you for your service, like Veterans Day yesterday. So, Jan, thank you for your service. I, I said in the beginning you were 25 years with the U.S. Army and 25 years with the U.S. Post Office. Is uh, I've I just is there anything you'd like to say to everybody out there that are veterans because I'm going to ask you how extraterrestrials played in influencing you to share your passion I believe we're all higher spirits and higher selves but uh, anybody or anything you want to thank and then I want to know you know your higher spiritual lesson on your life on the planet go ahead anything to tell the veterans well I you know uh, I uh I didn't necessarily enjoy all my time in the army, but I did. Uh, I, I thought it was a uh, it was sort of a, a calling. Um, um, anybody that knows about the uh, '60s and '70s, the military was not too popular at that time, um, especially with the Vietnam War on, and. Uh, 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 like I said about the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, there's people that have to stand guard on, you know, and uh, I felt that was uh, that was necessary. That was. Um, I remember when the Berlin Wall fell. I was going through the barracks. So as senior NCO, you're supposed to go and check on the troops. You know, walk through on Sunday night to see what. It was uncharacteristically silent, and I, it's like you didn't hear anything. Anybody, nobody was talking, nobody was making any noise. And I went to the day room, and uh, the television was on, and there must have been just about everybody in the barracks must have been. Uh, in in the in the day room there, they're just uh, 
in there like sardines. And uh, they're watching this, just fascinated by it. Nobody's making any comments or anything. They're just all watching it, watching the Berlin Wall. People are climbing up on the wall and uh, using picks and axes and, you know, trying to knock down the thing. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm just as fascinated as everybody else. And uh, they finally, when the, when the people just burst through and started coming through the wall, uh, I noticed that the sergeant major was in the back. He was sitting in the back of one of the seats, and he's just crying. And he was just—he just kept repeating <clears throat> over and over again, "This is what it's all about. This is why we're here. This is what it's all about." So. Uh, yeah, it was a very powerful day, and that it just was, shows it was. how things and, can change overnight. We. You know, we, we always uh, create these shoulds, and it's impossible, but it's not impossible. Those who grew up uh, with the wall, you know, I think, when did the wall go up? Uh, it, during Kennedy administration, um, right. we thought that these people were never going to see freedom. And then in one day, the wall came down, and, it, and what you said was very powerful, that they, they finally broke through, and they started coming through, and the wall came down, and it was a group effort on both sides. And then for years after that, I worked with some people that had escaped um, during that time. So they, they were uh, isolated from their families. They could never go back. They chose to, you know, maybe they got a, a chance to visit. And then I had one fellow who was living on the streets of London, and it was winter. <laughs> but that was the only time he could get a chance to, um, you know, escape. And then his his wife, they were both from Poland, and they were behind the wall. And his wife said, yeah, she was going to university, and one day they just arrested her, and they put her in a, a, a little cage, just like they're doing at the border, but very small. She could just barely, um, I don't think she could really lay down and stretch out. She had to kind of curl up. And it was hard floor and walking in a little tiny circle. She said, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know why they arrested me, how long I was going to be in there. So anyway, it was horrible behind the wall. Uh, And so both of them, she didn't manage to escape until the wall came down, but he had managed to escape. And then they both came to America, and they found each other. And they married and had two children. And I was working with them, uh, worked past that trauma of having been in the wall, but you know, the whole planet was traumatized because there were people that just, uh, the day the wall went up, I guess they just started building it and people, uh, they lost their families and they were getting shot. So these horrendous things happened, but we see how as bad as that was. And I'm not sure what made the wall come down. I can't remember the details on. Well, the, uh, the propaganda minister said, See, people were sneaking through Czechoslovakia because East Germany and Czechoslovakia were in the Eastern Bloc. So people from East Germany were visiting Czechoslovakia, and uh, Czechoslovakia kind of 
lowered the uh, the way that the border was, so they could go East East Germans could go to Czechoslovakia and then come into West Germany from Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. So it was already it was already in the wind, but I don't think anybody realized it. And then the propaganda minister they had a he had a press conference and he said something about you know i think they want i he made a big mistake i think what they wanted to say is you know uh, east germans could continue uh uh visiting czechoslovakia they weren't going to shut that off but what he did say is they could cross the border and people took that as the wall and he made that mistake, mm. and it, it's like they invited people to, oh, okay, see if you could cross the wall in uh, in Berlin, and that's you know, that's what happened. The big, the you know, everybody jumping on on top of the wall, and the uh, the guards, uh, somebody must have told them, don't shoot these people. Uh, it would have been a massacre if they had. Uh, so right. Yeah. Why would you say that uh, people should record ufology? Because, you know, today we discuss experiencers and extraterrestrials of the past, how they influenced. And I've got a question here. I've told you twice now, but I'm going to tell you again. What part did extraterrestrials play in influencing you uh, to share your passion? And what type of ideas do you think were they yours? What what gave you this compassion? You've been doing this just about your whole life. So do you ever think that you were influenced, just like people may have influenced to bring the wall down? Well, I would. I know I was influenced by uh, um, uh, by reading Rupelt's book, and then Keo's book, and then going to NICAP, and then uh, it was like a cause organization, and saying, hey. Uh, we've got a cause here. We're getting no support, not not much monetary support. Uh, we're marginalized. They make fun of us. Um, and I thought that no, I said there's something to this. At the at the core, there is something to this. And while there's a lot of uh, um, characters running around. Uh, <clears throat> that are actually uh, making us look bad, there's, at the core of it, the, the witnesses are the, are the main thing, and they are, uh, and, and, and a lot of these people are just uh, so reliable and everything. Uh, uh, I, I talked to uh, Jeff Lindell, who did a lot of work on Foo Fighters, and he said uh, when he went out and interviewed some of these guys about the Foo Fighters, he said, now this is he says this is this is years later they've got this this thing is burned into their brain they don't they don't talk about well i think it was like this no they're absolutely uh he said they were absolutely know exactly what happened and so he 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 said uh, that that's what impressed him about the witnesses they the uh the uh experience had had uh, uh, left them with such a uh, um, such a 
recollection that they could not get rid of it. It was, it was, and when they told it, it was like it happened yesterday. And so he talked about that, and mm-hmm. I've had the same experience. And then Doctor McDonald, you know, he would he would talk to people that you wouldn't expect would have a UFO sighting. He 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 ran down a lot of scientists, and uh, uh, people would would open up to him and tell him about their experiences. And he said, "It's uh, it's amazing these people." Their recollection is is so vivid, and yeah, my uh, so when my uh, my yeah. my grandmother's younger brother uh, was uh, had seen the the Foo Fighters. He was uh, a pilot in World War Two, and so it was so like you're saying it was he had to share with my grandmother, his older sister. And so when in 64, uh, two months before she died, she had an experience where there was a, a ship that appeared apparently tree height above her house. So she had to share. Now, I was, uh, I'm the younger sibling. My sister was older. And I said, do you remember what Grandma said to you? And so she shared that. And she said, and on top of it, her brother was a food fighter. So uh, you're right. It, it's just so ingrained into their psyche that they have to share it because that wasn't popular back then to be talking about UFOs in the in the 40s and 50s and and yet they were sharing that not only with the between the siblings but they brought it down to the grandchildren generation uh, my grandmother wanted me to know uh, UFOs are real and so she made sure that um, and she did it right before she passed yeah the um um, at Hanford, now that's the where they were producing the plutonium for the for the bomb up there during the Second World War. At Hanford, up in Washington State, um, <clears throat> they were getting things that were flying over Hanford. I'm not talking about the Japanese balloon bombs. They saw the Japanese balloon bombs too at Hanford. But this is something else. This is this is like the Foo Fighters at Hanford. So uh, NICAP had this little two-paragraph letter from uh, uh, um, Hendershot. The man's name was Hendershot. He was a Navy commander, and he he said January and February, uh, December. 1944, January and February 45, these things were seen at uh, Hanford, and he said, I I had experience with them. So, um, okay. Well, what about uh, you? Did you have so any experience? So this is 1950, this is, this is about 1958, uh, I think it was, that he wrote this little letter to NICAP. So we didn't find anything more about Hanford. So I went looking at the archives, and I said, you know, I'm asking the archivist, you know, if these things were at Hanford, where would they be? So he's scratching his head, and we looked at things, and he said, um, there was a box there. It says uh, um, General Hap Arnold's uh, intelligence officer reports. 
and in there is uh, the Fourth Air Force is talking about these things flying over Hanford, and it says we have to do something about this. We can't spare any planes from the Fourth Air Force, but the Navy is putting together uh, 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 squadrons to go out back into the Pacific and uh, uh, fill out the uh, squadrons that are depleted, the uh, the, uh, air squadrons. And so uh, can we task the Navy to look for these things? So that's what they did. And so I've got these documents where they're telling the Navy, says, while you're, while you're training these guys, we want to give them a real-world mission, uh, patrol over Hanford, and intercept any of these things you see. So the Navy took that mission, and uh, uh, then somebody, uh, somebody that was writing his memoirs uh, sent a book to uh, MUFON, and he was involved there, and he saw them. And he it was in his book, and then uh, Robert Hastings, who you might know for UFOs and nukes, he ran into uh, one of the pilots, and I'm saying, well, this is great. Well, tell him that uh, tell him that we have uh, we have uh, documents that back him up, <coughs> and uh, he says, yeah, I, I will. And so uh, we found in the newspaper a uh, an interview that the uh, Seattle Star did right after the A-bomb went off. This reporter from the Seattle Star went out to uh, Hanford, and he had been promised an interview by the head of Hanford, and the head of Hanford told him, when it when it's obvious to everybody what is going on here at Hanford, because it was top secret at the time, I will give you an interview. And he confirmed during the interview, he was talking about many other things about Hanford, but he confirmed that we were having these aerial intrusions. And so I, I, I sent that to uh, to Hastings, and he contacted the pilot. He said, he died one day before this information got to him. I said, oh, that's so tragic. But, uh, I mean, he knew that they were true. We were just going to say, hey, this is confirmation of everything you said. So uh, uh, that's uh, that's kind of the, the kind of, um, should we say, uh, things that, make you want to continue in the uh, in the subject it's finding these things out it's something new We're, I, I find out something about ufology every day that I didn't know <clears throat> just by going through things and uh, that's how I did it at the archives I go to the archives sign out boxes turn pages one page after another and find all kinds of things that that nobody had seen before. So that's that's kind of a motivation. Of course, the motivation I had was mainly to carry on Ted Blocher's work in the 47 uh, uh, wave. And, of course, uh, I'm interested in everything about ufology, so I, was, I wasn't just doing the 47 wave, but uh, 
that was the main em- uh, emphasis when I got back from overseas the last time was to uh, look into the look in into the 47 wave and uh, continue uh, Ted Bloch's work. So it's it's like a mission. It's I feel it's a mission. I feel it's like uh, uh, Keo and some of these people. Uh, it's it's almost a civil rights thing. I mean, he was cut off on the, uh, the t- uh, a TV program. Um, uh, they attacked him personally. The Air, uh, the Air Force attacked him personally a number of times. They insisted that magazines tell their side of the story whenever they did an article on Keogh. Uh, Look Magazine uh, had to insert the uh, Air Force's answers to some of the cases that he got. Uh, they 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 uh, they said that he never got any he never got any of those 41 cases from the Air Force, which is a, a, a lie. And it, it took uh, Keo uh, about uh, five years to uh, actually uh, get them to admit that he they had indeed given those cases to him. So uh, uh, now, people could criticize the Air Force for their budgets, not uh, um, providing close air support during the Korean War, um, uh, uh, doing research or, or uh, manufacturing planes that weren't up. We're not the the best. The Air Force never goes after those people, but for some reason, UFOs is a funny thing. We've got it. We every time Keo said something, they had to jump in and say say something against him. I just felt like that was the you know Goliath going after David. I really felt that somebody ought to stand up. So that's one of the reasons why I continue being interested in it. Well, TJ, you there? Yeah. TJ, you there? Okay, back to you. Yeah, you can hear me? All right, so yeah. that was a good answer. So what makes a man cling to UFO research in his life? I guess that was that answer. Now let's look at, uh, we've got, we want to build our UFO association, folks. I've asked Brad Olson if he wants to come on. I don't know what he's doing right now online, but uh, we've got live stories. Janet knows that she and I have joined several groups. Uh, but the thing is, we are still working here to compile, and we document and archive. We conserve, observe, protect, and report. So I've called this era cops in history. Janet doesn't like that, but that comes from that old time cops and watching people <laughs> jump through and go time travel in the past. So, Jan, do you think historians, you know, we're keeping the record of ufology today and of the past, hopefully together with alienology where it's going with uh, all the experiencers and all those that swear by they're from this planet or that planet or have that hybridization and have visitors from Pleiades or Orion's belt, the bus stop of the, you know, this particular galaxy. But uh, these are all oral reports. How are we going to move forward with our UFO association? Because we all know we could go at any time. My daughter's, uh, uh, one of her peers, two of them, 
Well, my daughter lost her husband about two weeks ago, and then another one she works with, and another one. They all work at Navarre Conference Center here in Navarre, Florida, where I live. But what's going on? Because it's 64. People are dropping like crazy in 2019. Do you think historically that there's anything to these uh, UFO people or extraterrestrial people or people that have contact? How about yourself? You know, is there any, do you feel there's any spiritual drive, I guess, any spiritual drive? Because something's kept you going all these years, even got you through your throat cancer. Is there any way you can speak to the quantum physics of interdimensional travel or anything to do with your spirit or soul with this? Because you're such a cut and dry. Janet calls people that do history sort of nuts and bolts people on UFO, but I think we're so used to talking to the spirit of the person, of the experiences, versus just documenting dry history. You know where I'm going with this? Well, see, I don't think history is dry. You know, I love history, so that's that's part of it. So, um, and what is tragic is the the number of people people have collected huge amounts of of uh, 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 sightings and reports, and then somebody dies and. they go to the to the uh to the uh landfill or somebody picks up their stuff and it's never seen again or uh uh things are just lost because they're discarded um, so <clears throat> let's 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 talk about it. Kenneth Arnold the first the first sighting of UFOs after after his uh, his sighting, he got five thousand letters in the mail. A lot of them were telling him about uh, things that had happened to them before his sighting or during the nineteen forty seven wave. He had five thousand letters. Um, <clears throat> he shipped them out to Ray Palmer. Ray Palmer shipped them back. Uh, looked at them. Shipped them back again. Eventually, they were thrown away. Leonard Stringfield, uh, when Frank Edwards uh, went on the radio and said, everybody should send in for Leonard Stringfield's UFO uh, 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 journal, Um, and he got 6,000 letters which contained reports and stuff at that time. And he said, "Uh, well, I was just a new guy then, so uh, he said, uh, you know, all these, I, I... put down all these subscribers and did all the admin things I had to do to get him the stuff. And then I just threw the letters away. And he said, that was the biggest mistake I made in my life because a lot of these letters contained accounts of what these people had seen. (coughs) Um, President Jimmy Carter, when he came out with his sighting, he got 25,000 letters. Now, the Carter Museum is unsure if they have them or where they are. But they were, um, if you remember, Gerald Ford was a Republican House leader at the time. And uh, he got he got lots of letters. And everything that he got, as far as accounts and stuff, went to the Ford Library. And it's, it, it, and it's saved there. 
but these 25,000 letters to President Carter, uh, people are unknown what happened to it. Um, True Magazine was uh, early, uh, uh, it published a number of articles about UFOs, got a lot of letters, and Keogh sent them a lot of things that he got because he had a, a, a photographic memory. He, he could remember everything, so he sent True Magazine his stuff. Uh, True Magazine threw everything away in the, in the uh, mid-50s. So these things have just been lost. Um, uh, things have been lost by accident. We're just uh, discussing this on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm discussing it with Isaac Coy. He says, uh, he says uh, uh, mice, mold, and uh, men in black. He says, which one's <laughs> the worst? And I told him, well, mice and... Uh, uh, mice and mold are pretty bad on UFO things. Uh, Lewis Farish, I talked about him in a previous episode. Um, he was he collected a lot of material before 1947. We used to have a little round robin where we sent we had we had a group and we this is before internet and all this other stuff. We just get some uh, find some sightings or something, put them in an envelope, send it to the next one in a group, and they would send it on and to their to their next guy and next guy. And when they got it, they would put what they found in, into the envelope, too. So we, we had a big round robin going around. So uh, his stuff is was in barns, so that was out in, the, out in the weather, so most of them were destroyed by mold or uh, animals got into the into the barn, so those things are gone. Uh, people have given their collections to other people, and it's been lost because the people that they gave it to didn't take care of it. Um, uh, George Fawcett, Lauren Gross, some of their material is 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 uh, is gone now. Um, and then uh, uh, people hold on to stuff. Uh, Dr. Lincoln Laplace at uh, uh, New Mexico State University, uh, uh, his daughters have his stuff, and they won't let anybody look at them. Um, uh, my friend J, uh, Jim Kibble in Australia, he had... Uh, he had clipping services in Australia, England, and New Zealand, and uh, his stuff is uh, closely held, and we don't know where it is. Uh, Time Life investigated UFOs twice. Um, their files are because they're corporate files; they're un, you can't uh, you can't get at them. Um, and I talked to uh, meteor tracers, and they 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 said we have the same problem. They said somebody dies, one of the meteor tracers dies, and his stuff usually goes to the landfill. So it is a it is a problem. Uh, <clears throat> uh, of course, when I I went down and looked at Dick Hall's stuff, there was. Uh, 
there was a whole bunch of stuff that was he had uh he had some turtles in the that he kept in uh in his basement and uh uh they had an aquarium i guess the aquarium had uh, the water had leaked out one time and got all these files that he had in the back of the aquarium uh, got water logged and then the uh the mole got in there because it's in the basement of course so um that's a problem and one of the things i've set out to do is to uh try to copy these things get them scan them in and and uh re uh, uh put them on in digital format and then uh go ahead and uh get it in other people's collections so they have it so uh, everything that I've done uh, uh, I give to like Dave Mahler in in New Mexico um, and Barry Greenwood so that more than one person has it so you know if something were to happen to me or <laughs> my computer would uh, zap my uh, uh, <clears throat> my uh, independent drive here um, somebody else would have the material. You could carry on with it, and I think that's that's one of my callings right now. That's one of my main missions. Well, that's important to me too, and I hope that these uh, we're going to have to figure out how to do the oral reports and save all the archives as well, because we're open source here on TGMRCT Radio. But I pay the bill every month. But if something happens to me and I don't pay the bill, all these files go away. So we have to even get our oral reports downloaded into something of a hard drive and uh, pass it around, I guess, Janet. So, uh, Jan, the three of us feel like we've done good work, and working together for this new mission, it's really a mission we've spent most of our life on or lived. So that's important. Why are people coming together to archive and research, you know, and what is a media tracer? You want to explain that, Jan, because we don't have clippers as much as we used to. We've talked about media treasures like everybody knows what they are, but I know while we're doing it, like you said, it's like a mission, but uh, I believe alien civilizations exist, and that's one of my mottos, and UFOs are real. So I have ACE for Alien Civilizations Exist Folk Life, and I filed it federally, and uh, it belongs to our country, but is it proprietary? Once it becomes on the internet, people say anybody can get the information. And I know when I used to make my own clothesline and stationery and shoes, I had my own line. But once it went on the on the like the Las Vegas runway, or which it did, New York or Dallas or Chicago or New York, once it was out there, people could see it. There are people from all over the world. You could tell red, yellow, black, white sitting there brown people you know it didn't matter we're all human beings but they were sketching it taking back my design so if people can see it they're going to copy it. you know what i mean and maybe that's something we need to look at because is it proprietary just because you collect it in the jan aldrich collection or the Teresa j Morris no, no, or the I, I, I follow michael swords thing this this belongs to the uh this belongs to the ages so I follow well, Michael Swartz's thing on that. I mean, he 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 scanned most of his collection, and uh, it, it's uh, dispersed throughout the world. It's in Australia and um, uh, 
Canada and uh, other places in the United States, so it's uh, um, it's not going away. Enough people have copies of it that it's not going away. Uh, so it can't be buried. It can't be buried because it's 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 in a, it's in a lot of people's collections. Um, uh, Keith Basterfield sent me. Uh, I sent him material that I scanned, and he sent me material he scanned, and he's in Australia. Now, your question about meteor tracers. Well, uh, these are astronomers that. Uh, uh, collect meteor reports. A now, meteor, not media traces. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call. Like, yeah, they're, they're, yeah that's what they do. And Dr. Lincoln Laplace was a was a meteor tracer. So meteor, M E T E O R, not M E T I A tracers. But not media have, tracer, no meteor tracer. Uh, so newspaper clippers. Remember, because you used to tell people. Well, I'm a newspaper clipper too, but uh, all right. But, uh, well, talk a little about both. Well, so, uh, you know, they say that uh, witnesses are unreliable and can't be counted on and things like that. Meteor tracers, what they do is they, uh, <clears throat> they uh, uh, people that see a, a big meteor, they try to get accounts from them. I mean, and sometimes it's in the hundreds, in the thousands sometimes. And usually... They all fall in in a very uh, small area in the sky, and you can tell where the where the meteor started and when it stopped. And uh, if it came down to Earth, you can uh, you can calculate where it where it was because it's a ballistic problem. You just you know it's, you do mathematics and. Uh, and you can find the uh, meteor, and that's one of the things that Lopez did. He found one of the uh, biggest meteors in the United States in 1948. Uh, he had the Institute of Meteoritics at uh, at the University of New Mexico, so he, he has a gi- he had a giant collection of meteors that he had traced. <clears throat> now, uh, almost all of them. Almost every person that's seen a meteor says, if you come out and stand where I was, you can see where it came down. And that's almost always wrong. But if you come out and talk to the guy and get him to show you where in the sky he first saw it and where he last saw it, then you can trace it. Of course, everybody thinks they see the, the meteor come down and they know where it's going to be, and that's it, almost never the case. But anyways, uh, he uh, uh, he and uh, several uh, uh, people helped, uh, uh, had to trace these things and found these things. And it, actually, it's a business now. Today, people... Uh, since the scientists are not as much interested as they were in Laplace's day, um, uh, people uh, have a business of tracing meteors and selling them to uh, uh, to collectors and things like that. Um, uh, some of these things are uh, 
pieces of uh, another planet, like uh, uh, a large meteor hits Mars, and sometimes it knocks when it hits the since Mars doesn't have that big a, a that thick an atmosphere, it knocks things off of Mars, and they they end up uh, here on Earth. Same with the Moon. So uh, we have some uh, Martian rocks here that got here by way of uh, an asteroid hitting Mars and uh, putting you know knocking stuff up up in past the atmosphere and on its way to earth so we have some of that stuff uh they find a lot of it in antarctica it's e- easier to find in antarctica than most other places um so this is uh that's what meteor tracers do and like uh i had this uh guy at the uh in ottawa who was a meteor tracer and he they, he's the one that told me well don't feel bad about UFOs," he said. "We have the same problem. People die, and their uh, their material goes to the landfill." He said, "Especially uh, uh, spouses that want to get even for with their husbands for for spending so much time doing this." So, uh, some UFO collections have gone that way for the same reason. We're one breath away from the landfill. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, it. Yeah, and that, that, that's tragic. That's tragic because some of these things are really, tragic. really important. Oh, I don't know what will happen with all of our research. I've got over a thousand books here, and they're all – they have documentation. Oh, God. I just, I just told whoever gets this house and, you know, inherits it, just bring in the truck. <laughs> so here is a here's a, a partial list of of people mm-hmm. who who we have collections from. <clears throat> Pete Jeremiah, uh, he was uh, head of uh, Mufon in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, William Pitts, uh, uh, he was uh, in uh, um, Missouri. Uh, Lou Farish, I talked about him. Uh, some of his collection we managed uh, <clears throat> managed to salvage. Uh, Dewey Fournay, he was the Pentagon monitor of the uh, Project Blue Book uh, in '52. Uh, 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 Lauren Gross, only because I visited him and he uh, let me copy huge amounts of his stuff. Uh, Greg Long, he's sending his material to uh, Barry Greenwood so he can put it, uh, uh, scan it, and, and uh, digitize it. Uh, uh, Michael Deschamps and uh, Earl Bruce Knapp. Uh, Earl Bruce Knapp used to have uh, UFO updates on the Internet for years. Um uh, Dominic Weinstein from France, uh, he's a, uh, a, an intelligence official and collected <clears throat> thousands of uh, uh, aircrew cases, uh, pilots and other aircrew uh, that saw UFOs. Uh, Don Ledger up in uh, Canada, Gordon Lore, I, I talked about him. Andy Roberts, he, uh, he was a uh, Foo Fighter investigator. 
um, and uh, also he had a, a, a lot of cases from 1970 to 1990s um, UFO. Uh, uh, oh, I, I can't forget he, his house had a name, and that's what he had his UFO organization as. Of course, Ray Fowler. A lot of people know Ray Fowler. Uh, and unfortunately, he is in the hospital just at this moment. So he he handed his material on. So that's that's fortunate. Uh, Robert Pratt um, is a journalist. Uh, Dr. Leon Davidson. He was a nuclear scientist. <clears throat> he was part of CSI. Uh, Don Flickinger, uh, NICAP, North Dakota uh, subcommittee head. Um, John Fuller wrote two books on UFOs. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Matson at the uh, Air and Space Museum in New Mexico. Robert Todd is a head. He did many, many uh, FOIA requests. He had government uh, microfilms, publications private correspondence, uh, FBI files. Uh, he, uh, we have all, we have all of those now. Uh, Joe Nyman, he was uh, in Boston. He did a lot of, uh, interviews and, uh, uh, abduction things, uh, plus, uh, uh, reopening cases, doing cold cases. Dr. Willie Smith, uh, uh, he has uh, big contacts in South America and Spain, and he was uh, Heineck's good friend. And Heineck and he did uh, what's called the Unicat, which is uh, best cases. He had he and Heineck had about uh, fifteen hundred uh, cases that they considered the best ones. Uh, we've got a UFO organization in Spain, CIE. We have their early files. Uh, Ida Bell Epperson, uh, NICAP, uh, L.A. Subcommittee, uh, Murray Bought. Uh, he has a lot of early New Zealand people's collections. Uh, Sergeant Harold Fulton is one of the collections he had. Uh, 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 Julian Hennessy in England, he was the NICAP uh, Subcommittee for Europe. Uh, Antonio Huenas, people know him. He uh, he did a lot of writing, went to countries all around the uh, world and collected material. Uh, Doctor uh, Deuter, uh, Forest Service, and he was he collected reports from Forest Service personnel. Uh, Michael David Hall, he wrote two UFO books, one on Rupel and one on. Uh, Loading. Um, so uh, Wendy Connors, she was a co-author. Uh, Keith Chester, uh, he wrote uh, on the Foo Fighters, the uh, Strange Company. Uh, Herb Taylor, he was in uh, UFOs since 1952. So uh, that's just you know some of the people we have their their collections. Now, what do these now we're trying to get these things put on, put on uh, 
on uh, computerized and digitized and move them around to other people so that there's uh, so that they uh, do not go to the landfill the threads or don't the, get lost yeah or the or the mice or the uh, uh mold doesn't get them well what do uh, these people have in common jan i mean you're a historian How, what do all these people that have collected this information have in common what is the uh, human factor not just the data collected well, what I think they it? were they were they were like me. They were all committed to this subject. Um, I mean, almost above and beyond what what you'd normally think people would do. I mean, uh, Antonio Huenas. Uh, I mean, he went all over the world. Now, he was writing articles for for magazines. He got paid sometimes. Uh, Julian Hennessy, uh, I think he uh, he parallels what I why why I got into it and why I you know uh, um, uh, Bell Epper said she was interested from 1947 on, so her collection's really important. Um, well, what makes a human be interested when so many people are not? They're Have not interested, and they think it. They think it's a waste of time. So I don't think it's a waste of time. I think there's there's something to it. I'm not uh, big about uh, theories and stuff like that. I want I want uh, accounts. I want to know what's going on. That's what I want, and I want to uh, preserve the history because, uh, as far as official history goes, they like to destroy that stuff. Um, so we don't know stuff, or it's 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 hidden, so you can't find it. I mean, it, you have to uh, on the uh, ghost rockets. There's no file on ghost rockets in the uh, in the National Archives. The only file that I ever found on ghost rockets was in General LeMay's personal papers. There were seven messages in there from from Scandinavia about ghost rockets. Everything else is you're turning over pages and then you find a ghost rocket document. Some of them were top secret all the way down to uh, uh, restricted. But uh, uh, there's no file of ghost rocket documents that I have found yet. All I've done is found messages in message files, and that's going through maybe uh, uh, a thousand messages and finding one message on ghost rockets. And then uh, looking at the top secret uh, documents from uh, 46, 47, 48, um, it's usually just one document by itself, not related to any other. Now, maybe related to other documents once... Once we we put all the ghost rockets doc, documents together, but there's no file that says ghost rockets on it. It's just one thing after another. A lot of things like UFOs uh, are like that too. Mr. Lewis, the uh, um, Todd's contact at the National Archives, told him, "Listen, there's more stuff here than." Uh, 
than just uh, files of UFO correspondence from the Air Force. He said, you have to look under briefings, intelligence, investigations, uh, aircraft. He said, you have to look under all these subjects, and there may be only one or two items in there. And Mr. Lewis said, look, I don't have the staff to dig these out. Somebody's got to come to the archives and look at this stuff for themselves. That's the only way you're going to get it. And that's what he told Todd. Now, the Air Force told Todd. They got so many FOIAs from Robert Todd that they uh, <coughs> uh, they finally told him, look, um, there are a lot of UFO things in our intelligence files here. He said, if you would like to come down here and use our index, you're welcome to do it. Because we can't uh, answer all these FOIA requests you're sending us. Of course, he was the uh, he was the uh, caretaker for his mother. She needed 24 hour a day uh, somebody to take care of her, so he couldn't do that. Uh, let me do that. I'll be happy to go down there. <laughs> uh, Robert Todd was uh, of, uh, such an individual that. Uh, uh, he put in for a correspondence between the uh, uh, the Air Force and the Central Intelligence from 47 to uh, 52. He said, I want to see all that correspondence. Of course, he thought that if he, he asked for that, they wouldn't, they w- it would sweep up all the UFO stuff. So uh, I got his files, and one of the things is, here's a FOIA request to the National Archives for that material. So I went down to the National Archives, and I, I told them, uh, I have this uh, request. Uh, um, it hasn't been answered for years. And I showed the guy the letter that they had received it and everything, and um, the archivist and he said, are you Robert Todd? And I said, no. I said, but uh, I have his, he willed his material to me. So uh, I want this, I want to carry on his request. So he went and got uh, two other archivists, and one was his boss. And the first thing they wanted to know, are you Robert Todd? No, I'm not. I said, okay. They went away. And they came back later, and they said, Friday you will have this material. We will fulf- we will fill this request by Friday. Now, they hadn't filled it for almost 10 years, but all, all of a sudden, Friday, they're going <laughs> to... So they thought, they thought the monster, Robert Todd, had visited the archives, <laughs> and they wanted to get rid of him. Um, so that was, uh, that was kind of funny. There were no correspondence on UFOs from uh, in that material, though. Uh, they withheld a whole bunch of uh, items, and they gave me a, not a list, but they told me how many items were, were were withheld. But there was nothing there about UFOs. And I asked them about that. I said, "Listen, there's there's uh, there's dozens of." Uh, correspondence between the Air Force and the CIA on UFOs in that time period. And he says, well, he says, uh, we don't determine 
what can be given out, the Air Force and the CIA do. So they uh, they withheld these, and so that's uh, that's a problem here. Um, well, let me ask you this: Do you see the Lubbock Lights pictures compared to the Phoenix Light pictures? Lubbock Lights were 1951. And the Phoenix Lights, March 13th, 1987. So we're talking about uh, how many years between 51 and 80, in 1997? 46 years? And they look similar to yeah, the way they're the, Yeah. The Lubbock Lights, the professors, the, peop- the witnesses, they solved that case. They were, the Lubbock uh, Lights? What were they? Yeah, they, they solved that case themselves. They were birds? Yeah, they were birds. They they got out there, the professors got out there with telescopes, and uh, they continued to, you know, the Lubbock Lights continued to come back and back and back. So one night they, uh, um, they were able to see them, and what they saw was the, the uh, problem. Prover, oh, I can't remember what the name of the bird is. <clears throat> Anyways, they saw aircraft flying low altitude. Right, they saw. Propellers. So they saw the uh, bird's breast and its um, its uh, feet. So that's how they were able to determine the Lubbock lights. Here, here's my problem with the Lubbock lights. Uh, Ruppelt was just out of college. He liked to talk to the professors. They were interesting people. Uh, Reese Air Force Base there would not give him any transportation, but at the same time as the Lubbock lights were happening, there was a case at uh, at uh, Matador, Texas. These three women, or three females, uh, granddaughter mother, uh, grandmother, were in a car, and uh, they saw this thing that looked like a pear turned on its side, and there appeared to be a door in it. It was, it was huge. It was, it was, it was very, uh, very big, and it was just sitting there in the air. And uh, as they're watching it, they got out of the car not the little girl, she stayed in the back seat. But uh, all of a sudden, it flashed, and she said the flash of the uh, UFO was brighter than the sun. And it took off at a tremendous speed. And as as it's leaving, the little girl yells out, Mighty Mouse, Mighty Mouse. Well, what she was... She was she was young, but Mighty Mouse was on the radio at the time. This was before everybody had te- uh, televisions, so she heard she heard the noise, and it sounded to her like uh, the noise that Mighty Mouse made when he took off. But uh, the uh, grandmother and the mother could not hear it because their hearing. You know, uh, deteriorate. Your hearing deteriorates as you get o- older, but the young people have better hearing. So that's now. 
That's the case that Rupelt should have been out there investigating, but he couldn't get transportation to go out there and investigate because it was out in the country. So he's staying with the uh, with the uh, professors, and that's the case we know about. And the case of Matador is is not as well known. So it that's the case that all these all these documentaries and everything they talk about that case. But uh, I, like I said. Matador, Texas, is a lot more important than that case. August 31st. That was Mrs. Tom Tilson and two other women, right? Tom Tilson. Right. One, they put, uh, yeah, they said they saw one. That was in Project Blue Book. Now, right, it is in that, Project Blue Book. Uh, the OSI went out and investigated it, and they got it wrong because they wrote down that uh, – the women saw the sun reflecting off, bright, uh, making a bright reflection off the UFO. But when Blocher re-looked at that case, she said, that's not what we told the Air Force guys. We told them that uh, this thing flashed before it took off brighter than the sun. We, he, she said, we didn't tell them that it, it was reflecting the sun, but they wrote that down incorrectly in Project Blue Book. Oh. Well, everybody makes mistakes, and some people may compare you. Well, see, no, that, no, that's not an excuse, because that's, that's these guys are trained. They don't make a lot of notes in front of people, but they're trained to remember all this stuff, and that was a, that was a big mistake, and that was... They're not supposed to do that. They're trained. That's what they're trained. They're chem- they're criminal investigators and they're intelligence investigators, and they're trained to know, to listen to what these people say very carefully, and and record it. So, it's uh, it is a mistake, but it's uh, it's one they shouldn't have made. Well, you can't always hope that things are birds, but I'm back in that time they were all trying to explain them away weren't they that was the job was to try to explain what they couldn't explain away unexplained right, right. Explain, That's the job, away. explain everything right yeah. but the professors explain. on their own the witnesses uh i mean they continued to be interested so that's that's how they found out that they were birds because now, they Fort were, Hood, that was camp hood right Camp Hood, yeah, it's 49. called Camp Hood. Yeah, it, uh, that's where the nuclear weapons were stored. Oh. Because they had the Second Armored Division there. So if you're going to, you got you, you're going to come for our nuclear weapons, you got to get past the Second Armored Division. <laughs> wow. So the Camp Hood base, and that has a good history. And I've been there, and that's where I signed uh, my paperwork. I've been to uh, Fort Hood, too. It wasn't hot. a very pleasant place to be. <laughs> very hot, yeah. I yeah. remember the heat. <laughs> right. Aerial phenomenon, Project Grudge. Apparently, they had uh, information there. And that's uh, my husband spent a lot of time in camp at well, Fort Hood, Colleen Base. So... Well, let's see here. We've got so much we didn't cover, but uh, Janet had to go. We're building what our UFO Association archives can build, not just based on history, but experiences, life stories such as Jan Aldrich, folks. That's who's been talking. 
Jan Aldrich, and uh, we're not really made that much at our age for YouTube videos, but we do uh, have the voice that does go on YouTube, thanks to what I pay Spreaker from <laughs> Blog Talk Monthly to Spreaker. You don't even want to know how much this stuff costs me a month. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I've been doing it for years. But uh, I appreciate everybody. It's only, we've got 12 minutes. Jan, is there anything else? Because it's important that people understand that we're doing this uh, because we feel like we're on a mission and we have compassion for those that are interested, that people that have been explained away when they know it wasn't ducks or silver balloons or, you know, help me give a pep talk if people want to join us or find out uh, tell them how we can get in touch with you and folks i'm tj morris et radio but i've got tj morris agency at gmail uh, if you can remember tj morris agency i just I'm, i feel like i'm an agent of service to everybody in their associations it's free to join ours there's no charge if you want to be in the ufo association but we if we do wind up working with you as investigators or reporters we do offer some research and intelligence gathering uh training but uh, jan you're so busy working yourself you don't have time to train anybody else if you have any extra time you want to go collect information right. isn't that true that that's about true um <clears throat> so i'm on uh i'm on the internet uh project uh 1947.com uh also uh I've got a personal page on Facebook, and I've got a Project 1947 uh, uh, page on Facebook. So, um, and <clears throat> so uh, I can be contacted from uh, from those. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's easy, and. Uh, you know, we're always running into things where we, uh, where you least expect them. You know, people come up with stuff that, uh, um, uh, well, uh, some somebody uh, sent me some material. Said my husband was interested in this. Uh, why is this? And uh, I wanted to. Uh, uh, I want. I didn't know what to do with this material, so I. I just sent it on to you. So that was. Um, this kind of a surprise that we had. Um, uh, so we do run into people that were once interested in a lost interest. Or uh, passed away, and they uh, didn't. Didn't pass their material on. Uh, so not everything goes into the landfill, but uh, it, it's a rare occasion. But that that also happens too. So um, uh, this one fellow was a uh, was a uh, policeman in Florida, and uh, he got interested in, in his uh, by himself. And of course, he has some investigative uh, training because he's a policeman. So. Um, he used to go out on his own and, and look for this stuff. Of course, we have all kinds of lists of people that, uh, we'd like to find their stuff. Uh, um, Captain Bill Nash was an airline captain for P, uh, for Pan American Airways. 
and he had a, uh, a a really spectacular sighting in 1952, and he became interested in in UFOs and and all the things about it, landings and things like that, when nobody was interested in close approaches, but he was. Um, and he had a, a fellow that owned a company, and so this guy had a little bit of money, so he bought, in, this is 1952, sound recording equipment and um, a movie camera. And so... Uh, uh, and and Nash and he went out and made interviews right at almost the time that these sightings were made. So we would like to find find his material. We haven't. We have uh, uh, Captain Nash. Let me copy his uh, uh, files. But we'd like to find this other fellow that uh, was his uh, partner here. That he went out together, and uh, uh, sometimes it's hard to run these things down. And sometimes when you run them down, you find out that their stuff is already gone or um, destroyed or left behind. So uh, we sure welcome uh, leads and things to this kind of stuff. It's uh, um, uh, Bill Jones gave his uh, material to Ohio, Ohio uh, uh, State University, so that's a uh, that's that's one place that people can go and and look at his material. Of course, I you know need to get out there, but there there's a apparently there was something down at uh, uh, you, uh, professors at uh, the University of T- Tennessee. Uh, um, we're doing research on UFOs for Oak Ridge, the nuclear facility there. Now it'd be interesting to see if their papers were down there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities to uh, locate files and things that uh, not even. Uh, and sometimes we don't even suspect that they might exist, but there are these things. Well, uh, anything of an interdimensional nature, do you believe that these are coming and going that some people can see and some cannot for a reason? Because I've understood that uh, by some people that study UFOs, that light bends around them if they're using a certain energy to escape from our our Earth, uh, I guess, sitting or in our lower atmosphere or sitting close to the ground. And then once they go up, the light bends around it. Have you heard of that? So you can't really see them. Like uh, Einstein proved about stars and the sun, things like I, that. Uh, Bending light. Bending light. Well, sometimes it's hard to see them. I can, I can uh, understand that. And uh, um, there's, a, there's a number of cases where light uh, acts weird around UFOs. I mean, like the bent beam cases in Australia, those are just, I mean, uh, the uh, people are driving by with their headlights on and all of a sudden the, the beam is bent. And that, you know, that's just completely, you know, 
crackers as far as uh, anything we know about uh, how light behaves. And there's another thing it's called, we call them solid light cases. And these have been seen all over the world. Um, it's like this UFO has, they have a bright light, but before it gets to the ground, and it's close to the ground, but before it gets to the ground, it cuts off so the beam doesn't go all the way to the ground. How do you explain that? That's that, that's that's really unusual and weird. So there are these things that you with light and UFOs that would just, just are just strange, strange, really. Uh, bed beams and solid light. That's just completely uh, um, without you. You can't. We we have no theory to. That, that explains these things. It's just well, amazing. phenomenology. What about physics? Anything to do? Uh, have you studied phenomenology? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Well, there's some things that will be known in the future. Just like we used to not understand lightning, and we didn't understand how a light bulb worked. Or yeah, know, yeah. Well, that's what that's now. that's what uh, that's what Heineck said. He said there will be a uh, 30th century physics and he said right now we can't even suspect what it's going to be so yeah that's what I'm saying I'm saying it's we're seeing something and we don't have an explanation for it right now right um, so phenomenology folks the science of phenomena as distinct from that of the nature of being so you know, an approach that concentrates on the study of consciousness is where we're going and the objects of direct experience we're getting from our witnesses. And some people can see UFOs and some cannot. That doesn't mean they are or are not. And a lot of people can take pictures and some can't. So we're really into measurement here on this planet, even though we have philosophies. But the empirical research is the way that we measure things, basically, that not only one person, but a second and a third and so on and so forth. Now, in our peer-reviewed journal, how would you like to see – we've only got a few minutes here. What would you like to see continue? We've got a couple of minutes with the UFO Association. Just keep documenting weekly oral reports for right now and hope that people will listen and want to help us. And Well, I know, people, I know people are listening. Okay. I know people are listening because I keep getting friends friend requests and <laughs> and when Good. when I get them they say they they listen to me on this program. Oh, that's so great! Well, thank you, Jan, because that means and it's so not much it, 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 uh, uh, and some of them have you know you know how these things are you 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 can. Pull uh pull these things out later, and so it's the same with Erica. Yeah. Um, people, I haven't I haven't been on Erica's show for a long time, but I'm I I got a request just the other day that mentioned her. Aww. That mentioned the thing that we were on there. So you may they not have a lot of a lot of people in the audience right now, but people go back and listen to these things. That's true. There are history, and there, as long as I keep paying the bill. Well, we'll be back next week, folks. That's a message. I don't know if you could hear it, but Jan, could you hear that message of the time? How much? Did you hear the lady? No, no, I can't hear those. 
Oh, you couldn't hear it. Okay, that's interesting. Only I could hear it. Uh, so much, folks, we're living in wonderful times, a uh, time of the new age I call the Ascension Age, and it's just amazing because there's so much information for people at just the touch of a button on a phone. They can find out mostly whatever they want. Thank you, Jan, for being alive, well on planet Earth and helping us stay alive, please, and uh, keep on doing what you're doing, and we'll keep oral reporting right here with ACO Press Club. I'm your host, Teresa J. Morris, Teresa J. Thurman Morris, with Janet Carol Lesson, Jan Aldrich. We're all historians, and we're reporters, and we're researchers, so we're even called archivists today. So come back and join us for the history of alienology, getting into, but mostly ufology, with Jan Aldrich, historian, and his project, Project 1947, that you can reach that at project1947.com, and the ufoassociation.org, and I also have ufoassociation.com, tjmarsagency.com, tjmarsetradio.com, and about 30 more, some of them we're using. Thank you, everybody. Watch, read our books, and look for us on Amazon and other places. Thank you, Jan. I will call you next week, and we'll look for us on iTunes, iHeart, Spreaker, oh my gosh, Stitcher, so many places, FM Radio, um, uh, gosh, Spotify, Libsyn, SoundCloud, so many because I some of them I just am lucky to be on, and others I pay for. I'm doing my best to distribute the UFO Association with Jan Aldrich. Thank you, everybody. Jan, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, goodbye. Have a great week. Thank you, sir. Love and light, dear. Bye. All right, everybody. That's it. That's a wrap. Here we go. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only.